begin reading at verse 26 of chapter 6. The scripture there says, These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us by your word. Make our hearts attentive. Let us receive the word with faith so that we would be strengthened so that we would be fruitful, so that we would know you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you had to summarize your purpose in just a couple sentences, could you do it? Your purpose in life. Have you ever thought about that? If you haven't, it might be kind of a sad thing, right? You've never thought about why you were created, why you exist, your purpose. We, uh, First Baptist, we have something similar to a purpose. It's more kind of a motto. If you look in your bulletin underneath First Baptist Church Gibsonville, there's a line right underneath that that says, building the kingdom one heart at a time. It's kind of like how we're wanting to fulfill our purpose. Building the kingdom one heart at a time. I, I like a lot of things about that statement. One, it's there's work to be done. There's building to be done. There's lots of work to be done. What is it being done for? The kingdom of God. It's kingdom focused. It's not just inward focused. It's outward focused. This is what we're about. What are we wanting to change? Hearts. Not just outward actions of people. We don't just want to grow a lot of moralistic Good people. We want people who are changed from the inside out. One heart at a time. Now that shows that it's, uh, it's a process. It takes time. One heart at a time. It might take longer than we had hoped. Now this is, I really like a lot about this, a lot about this statement. But there is one thing I would want to change. Maybe you've seen it on some things I've written too. I'll, I like to just make a subtle change, and that is Christ building His kingdom one heart at a time. Christ building His kingdom one heart at a time. Do you remember what Jesus said about His church? In Matthew, I think it's around 16, 
He says, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is a picture of the kingdom of God, the church of God invading the gates of hell and they won't prevail. This is a vision of great success for Jesus. I will build my church. You see, the decisive action is not ultimately what we will or won't do, but what God will do. So if you're looking for a a reason why you exist, a purpose for why you exist, it cannot be done, you cannot explain that outside of a relationship with Christ. You cannot have a purpose statement that is independent of Christ. It is ultimately Christ's work in us and through us which is most important. Now looking in other areas of your life, we see this the same pattern that we are utterly dependent on him and what he will do. Some of you I know have family members who do not know Christ. Some who have wandered away from the church and it seems wandered away from God and it seems like there's nothing you can do. You can argue until you're blue in the face. But what is the decisive action? What is the moment? When does the the change happen? Isn't it when Christ reaches in and changes and does something? It's Christ's action that is decisive. For us as a church, if we're going to fulfill this purpose, we cannot do it independently of God. We must depend on Him because His action is what's most important. If we want spiritual growth as a people, and we must pray. We must work. We must encourage one another. But what's, what, it's, what it's going to take is God changing us by His Word. If we want to reach people for Christ, if we want each of these pews to be filled, we're going to have to work getting the message of the Gospel out, sharing the name of Jesus. But where is it really going to happen? When Christ reaches in to the hearts of people all around and changes them. Makes these invitations effective. Makes the gospel word effective for salvation. That's the only hope for our community, for us as individuals, that God would do something. See, His action is what is decisive. In our text today, we see the same thing. We see that God and His plan ultimately isn't thwarted or changed by our own inadequacies, by Moses' inadequacies. It's not completely dependent upon Moses and Aaron's obedience. What does it depend on? We see it in the last part of the verse we read. What God will do. Here's what I will do, God says. Our hope for God fulfilling His plan in and through us is not pinned on our weaknesses or our strengths or our obedience, but on God and His power and upon His will. I began, uh, I actually skipped over the genealogy part of that passage. I didn't do that because it's not important. But that sometimes, well, for one, it's hard to read. I mess up some of the names. But for another, it's maybe confusing for us. We're not sure what it's really talking about. But this would be very important to the readers of the day. Seeing how how. God had been working His plan each step of the way. In each generation, He was working to eventually build up, raise up His leaders, Moses and Aaron. So for the readers of this 
book, they would have seen, okay, Moses and Aaron, they are legitimately a part of Israel. They are from the people of Israel. It also shows God doesn't work in a vacuum. Right? He has been working all along. God's activity in the present is vitally connected to God's work in the past. And each step of the way, it's not as if He's not working. Just because we can't see it. God is working. And we see that in this genealogy. Much of what we read in our text is summary of of what's gone on before, what's already happened. You see, God is about to work, and Moses, writing this book, wants to remind his readers of what has happened up to this point. And he's leading them to some of the climax of the story of the Exodus. He's leading them up to the plagues. He's reminding them of all that's gone before so that they're ready to read this next part. We should review as well. The Israelites have been in slavery for hundreds of years in Egypt. God seems to be silent through those hundreds of years until one day He raises up this man named Moses. He raises him up in a special way, protecting him as a child, even though many of the children were were killed. Moses and Aaron uh, are raised up. He speaks to God as, as face to face through the burning bush. And so he tells Moses, go speak to Pharaoh. Go tell him to let my people go. Moses and Aaron speak to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh responds with even more harshness than before. Who is the Lord? I don't know who this Lord is that you speak of. So then the people complain to Pharaoh. They complain against Moses. And Moses complains against God. Accuses God. What have you gotten us into God? Why have you done this? You have not rescued your people at all. And then in verse 28, God restates His command to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord, a restatement of who He is. I am Yahweh. I am who I am. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. And the message was, let the people go. Let my people go. Now Moses once again objects to God's plan, objects to what God has called him to do. Verse 29, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Uncircumcised lips means not set apart for holy use, not not good enough, not eloquent. We've already heard this before, right? Exodus 4, verse 10, he's objecting. To God's plan. We should credit Moses with at least one or two things though. One, he does recognize his own weaknesses. He recognizes that that he is not a good speaker. That he is not eloquent of speech. It takes a humble man to recognize your weaknesses. Probably a true assessment too. God doesn't say, now come on Moses, you're actually a good speaker. Stop being so modest. No, he just takes it at face value. He's not a good speaker. And Moses also knows that Pharaoh is probably not going to respond in a good way. How does he know this? Because he's already gone to him. He's already seen how Pharaoh has responded with even more harshness than before. He makes them make the same amount of bricks with less straw. 
And they are beaten. They are punished more and more. But here's where we should recognize that God's plan is not hindered by human weaknesses. God's plan is not hindered by human weakness. Being weak in a certain area doesn't even mean that you get an automatic pass for not participating in that. Right? Sometimes that may be where God wants you to serve. In the area of your weakness. So everybody get a mental picture of your weakness. Maybe service in the church. A certain area of your weakness in the church. What if God wanted to use you to serve in that area of the church? Say, no, that's my weakness. I'm not good at that. I don't even like to do that. And Moses says, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. And God says, here's where you're going to serve me in this. You are going to be my prophet. It promotes humility. Right? Doesn't it promote humility when you serve in an area of your weakness? It produces a great dependence upon God because you're not depending on your own strength and your own abilities. You have to depend on others and you have to depend on God. There's a great illustration of this in the book of Judges. Judges chapters 6 and 7. In fact, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. It's over a few books of the Bible. Judges chapter 6. You remember the story of Gideon. People of Midian were oppressing uh, the people of Israel. They, for seven years, it says, they were oppressing him because Israel was not obeying the Lord. So this was a form of discipline for Israel. But look at Judges chapter 6, verse 15. The Lord calls Gideon, and he's going to send Gideon to crush the Midianites. Chapter 6, verse 15. Uh, Beginning verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Did not I send you? And Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midians as one man. So here's God Doing something similar, raising up the weakest part, the weakest clan in Manasseh among the weakest family in that clan. And then we see in Judges 7 verses 2 through 3 that the Lord says, you know what, you have too many men. He had maybe 30,000 men had gathered together to be a part of this army to go down and crush the Midianites. The Lord said, that's too many. Chapter 7, verses 2 through 3. Listen to how he says it. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Whoever's afraid, you can go home. You have too many people, Gideon. 
10,000 left. 22,000 men go home. They're afraid. So maybe that'll be uh, few enough to go after Midian and still give glory to God. And God says, no, that's still too many. He says in verses 4 through 8, whoever goes, now go take all the men down to the water. Whoever uh, laps the water up like a dog, puts his face right down in the water, he's send him home. He's not going to be a part of your army. Do you know how many people did that? How many of the men did that? 7,700 out of the 10,000. 7,700 went home and that left 300 men. Start, started with 30,000 and now he's down to 300. What do you think happened? Did, were they overcome by the Midianites? Because they were too few in number? They were too weak to go against the Midians? No. The Lord rescued the Israelites. The Lord took those 300 men through the Midianites in confusion. And they destroyed themselves. Israel conquered the Midianites with 300 men. And God's glory was seen in a way that it wouldn't have been seen if 30,000 men had conquered the Midianites. You see, God gets glory when we accomplish great things by serving Him in our strengths, but God gets glory, I think in a special way, God gets glory when He accomplishes great things in us despite serving in our weaknesses. God's plan is not hindered by human limitations or weaknesses. In fact, it thrives. Some of the times the church is seen as the weakest are the times when the Lord works most mightily. Think about China. The oppression, persecution that the church in China is under. And yet, they're thriving in underground churches. God likes to get glory in our weaknesses. Now think about the areas you're weak in. I know one area that you're probably thinking of is evangelism. Speaking the word of Jesus to other people. Speaking the message of Jesus. We may be afraid to do that. We may uh, be unsure of what we should say. We don't feel comfortable in that. It's not our strength, right? The Lord wants you to learn from this. That God takes glory when we serve Him, even in our weaknesses, so that you speak a few words about Jesus and how He died for sinners, do we really believe that the Gospel is the power of God to salvation? Do we really believe that if you speak the Gospel to enough people, somebody's going to believe? Or is it just, I won't tell it to Him, He wouldn't believe it. He wouldn't believe it. Not Him. The Lord takes pleasure in working in our weaknesses. Think about reaching our community. Right? We're a small church within this community, within the neighboring cities. Can we really make much of an impact in Gibsonville and beyond? Can we do anything to change this community? Now, Certainly Moses had a big role in the plan of God. He was unique, right? We won't all have a similar role that Moses had. We will have smaller roles. But this is also how God works. Through ordinary means. Through ordinary means, mothers, of you raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Through ordinary means, like an evangelism of just speaking of what Jesus has done to save sinners. 
through ordinary means of you going home and showing love to the neighbors around you. The love of Jesus, compassion of Jesus. God will work in these seemingly ordinary and mundane things to bring glory to Himself. Even and especially in the areas that we are weak. So are you weak in any areas? Anybody want to confess to that? You are weak in some certain areas? Let God shine in those weaknesses. Let God's glory shine. And then you won't get to boast in what you've done. You won't get to boast in your glory, but you will boast only in Jesus Christ and in His greatness. God's plan is not hindered by human limitations or weaknesses. And God's plan, although it includes our obedience, is not dependent upon our obedience. This again speaks to God's independence and our dependence upon Him. Look at verses 1 and 2. Here God outlines Moses' and Aaron's responsibilities. Here's here's what you're going to do, Moses. Back in Exodus, Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. He said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. So those are the roles. Moses is going to be like God to Pharaoh, Telling him through the prophet Aaron. Aaron is kind of the mediator between Moses and Pharaoh. And here's what they are to do. Those are their roles and here are their responsibilities. Moses, you shall speak all that I command you. Aaron, you shall relate that to Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. So although God is sovereign and independent... He gives us responsibilities. Although everything ultimately depends on the decisive action of God, He lets us play a part in His work. He works through us. When I say God is independent, I mean that He is sufficient in and of Himself. Right? He doesn't need any outside support or help. He is completely sufficient. We may sometimes act independent. But we were created to be dependent creatures. To depend upon Him. And yet, that ultimately is our sin. That we have declared independence from God. We have set ourselves up as our own kings and said, we are in control of our lives. We make the rules. We say what we get to do. That's called sin. We have rebelled against God. Pushed aside our need for Him, and declared our independence. Yet notice two things about God's words here to Moses and Aaron. God God gave Moses and Aaron different responsibilities. They were different, and yet they were complementary, kind of like He has done in the church. He has given a, a variety of gifts within the church to work. He is in control, He is independent, and yet He works in and through us as we use our giftings and our service in weakness to glorify Him. How has the Lord gifted you? How has He gifted you in a certain way to serve the church? We are fitted together, the Scripture says, in a certain way so that when we work together, we the church will build ourselves up in love. God gave them different responsibilities and then He commanded them what they should do 
And he expected obedience. God commanded them what they should do and expected obedience. Perhaps we've gotten a little weak on this because we fear legalism. Right? We don't want to veer into legalism and say, uh, my acceptance with God depends on what I do. I must keep God's law in order to be saved and to be right with God. We don't want to veer in that territory. However, do you remember part of the Great uh, Commission? Is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to do what? You say it. Teaching them to obey. Teaching them to obey everything I have taught. We are commanded to make disciples and to obey when the Lord commands. And this too, we have failed greatly. You know, if you're not a Christian, you should know this about yourself. That when you declared independence from God, you were disobeying His law. That you were breaking His law. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Every one of us has fallen and sinned and disobeyed each one of the Ten Commandments. The first is to have God only as your God, and yet you have gone after your own pleasures. You have gone after your own selfish ways and done your own thing. Each one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God gives commands and expects obedience. And yet we have failed. And yet the Lord redeems us by His blood. The Lord, Jesus Christ, came into this earth and perfectly obeyed all of God's commands. God commanded and He obeyed. And not only did He obey outwardly, He obeyed with a willing heart, a joyful heart. He died on the cross for those of us who hadn't done it. For those of us who have sinned greatly, who looking back over this light last week, you have sinned in a variety of ways. And the Lord Jesus Christ has died for those sins if you are in Christ. And now, He empowers us to resist sin and to live in obedience to His law. Did you realize that? That you, now that you are, if you are a Christian, now that you are in Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you can say no to sin. No! And you can say yes to God. Yes, I will obey. That's what God expects from us. Not that we would obey in a legalistic sense, but that we would recognize His grace to us and His empowerment by His Spirit and say, yes, I will obey. God includes us and our obedience in His plan, but He is not dependent upon it. The last part of our text shows God's response. It shows us this main point that what happens in God's purpose is ultimately dependent upon Him and what He does. God's plan is not thwarted by our weaknesses. It's not dependent upon our obedience. God's plan is dependent upon His will and His power. So what does God do? God speaks to Moses. He tells him how things will work out. He tells him what He will do. Here's what I'm going to do, Moses. Moses. And we see there in those verses two main things. 
Two main actions that the Lord is going to do. First, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. We've looked at this before. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Why? One version, I think the best translation of this. So that I may multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that I may multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt. The Lord was going to make Pharaoh stubborn, even more stubborn than he already was, so that everyone would get a chance to see the glory of God. So that he would stack up his signs and wonders, which we're about to see in the plays. So that everyone would see, this is the Lord. This is God. And the second action the Lord would do, it says, when Pharaoh hardens his heart, when the Pharaoh does not listen, I will lay my hand on Egypt. That's a, a, a sign of destruction, of bringing judgment. I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my people out by mighty acts of judgment. I will stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring my people out. And what's the purpose of that? Why will he stretch out his hand upon Egypt with great acts of judgment to bring the people out? You see that in the next, in those verses. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Do you remember Pharaoh's reaction to uh, Moses the first time? Who is the Lord that I should let? I don't know the Lord. This is what God is up to in the Exodus. That the people would know that He was the Lord. That the Egyptians and the Israelites alike would know the Lord. To the Israelites, that they would know His faithfulness. That He keeps promises. That He keeps covenant with them. To the Egyptians, that they would know His power. This is what God is up to in the Exodus. Making Himself known. Do you know the, the game you get together in people's houses where you used to and play? We used to play it in youth group all the time, win, lose, or draw. You get up there and draw a picture. And, and one of the exciting things about the game is you don't see all the picture all at once. It like builds suspense. You're seeing just a little bit at a time. So imagine if I drew a long line here and I started drawing crooked lines here. And you wouldn't know what I'm, I'm, you'd guess all kinds of crazy things until you saw that I was drawing a dinosaur. Right? It builds the suspense. You're, you're seeing it a little bit at a time. This is what God is doing throughout Exodus, throughout the Bible and even now. He is making Himself known. Just giving a little bit of, at a time here in Exodus. He's showing you know, a little bit of His power. He's showing a little bit of His might. He's showing His faithfulness. He shows it through the Exodus. He shows it through the Ten Commandments. Through the prophets. The book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, the Lord spoke in many and various ways through the prophets. But now He has spoken to us in His Son. The Lord is revealing Himself a little bit at a time. And then when you see the full picture. Do you know what it's a picture of? It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of John, 1.18, it says, 
God is, no one has ever seen God. But the only Son, He has made Him known. He has explained Him. Full of grace and truth. This is who God is. This is who God is revealing Himself to be. Unbeliever, if you're not a Christian, the Lord is revealing Himself to you right now. He's revealing to you your own sin, your own shortcomings, your own deserved punishment in hell. And He is revealing to you Himself that He is Jesus Christ who died on the cross for sinners like you and me, who will receive you and forgive you if you turn away from your sin and trust in Him. Unbelievers, He is speaking to you by His Word. Why would you continue in your way of sin? Why would you continue disobeying Him? Yeah, you say you believe, but your life has shown no evidence of repentance and faith. Your life is the same as it was before you said you believed in Jesus. Turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus and submit to Him as Lord. But believers, this strikes at the heart of our purpose. If God's purpose is to make Himself known throughout all eternity and throughout the world, then our purpose as well should have something to do with that. To know Jesus and to make Him known. To know Jesus and to make Him known. Friend, are you doing that? Are you just living for your job and for the weekend? Or are you living to know Jesus and to make Him known? Are you just living for the next vacation? When you can have a good time and just forget about work for a little bit? Or are you living to know Jesus and to make Him known? By proclaiming His Word. By proclaiming Jesus. By living in love towards others. This is how God has called us. To make Him known. Mother, to your children, are you making Him known to your children? Or are you just passing that off to others, to the church? Fathers, are you stepping up in your families and working hard to make Jesus known in your families? To know Him and to make Him known? What about the people who live around you? To know Jesus and to make Him known. Our section ends with the obedience of Moses and Aaron. They did just as the Lord commanded them. May this be said of us. May this be said of us. They were about knowing Jesus and making Him known. They did just as the Lord commanded them to do. And notice their ages as well. Moses, 80. Aaron, 83. Now, perhaps in... In our day and time, with our age span, this would be in maybe their 50s, 50s or 60s. The time when people are starting to settle down and think about retirement. And the Lord has a work for them. A big work. To know Jesus and to make Him known. If you are getting up in age and you think it's time for you to settle down, know this. The Lord has great plans for you. To make Him known to those around you. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we have fallen short in many ways. 
We know that it cannot be said completely of us that they did just as the Lord commanded. And there are some here, even now, Lord, who don't know You, who have not submitted to Your rule over their lives. Perhaps they say that they believe in Jesus. And yet they live for themselves. Father, I pray that You would bring conviction upon their hearts now. That You would remind them of the words of Jesus. You cannot serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and be devoted to the other, but you cannot serve both. Father, I pray for we who are believers here that You would convict our hearts as well well, for areas of of just coasting, for areas of disobedience, for areas of apathy, not caring. Pray that You would cause us to remember that we were created for a purpose. to, To know You and to make You known among all those around us. Father, I pray that You would challenge us, that You would send us out, that we would be fruitful. We pray that You would grow us spiritually and renew us so that we would be all about proclaiming Your Word and showing love to our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together our hymn of response. Is hymn number 182. Uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Please stand.